everybody and welcome to another installment of Pull Your Shelf Together with eShaver Booksellers. I'm Melissa Taylor. I'm Jessica Osborne and we have a special guest today. I'm Tim Taylor. Tim is my husband and also a professor at SCAD so he's going to join us and talk a little bit about what he's been reading since he's been working from home and teaching online and this gives him a chance to interact with other people, let's be honest. <laughs> so, um, Jessica, what what would you like to talk about today? Oh, gosh. Well, I want to talk about a book that I did not talk about last week, which is a good start. <laughs> um, it is a book that I just left off, and um, I feel bad about it because it's one of my favorite books this year. It's Sharks in the Time of Saber Saviors. <laughs> I can't say that three times fast. <laughs> Um, a novel by Kawhi Strong Washburn, and it has a very exciting cover, which you can't see here, but you can see on our webpage. And it is a somewhat magical realism story told about a family who lives in Hawaii, and um, the book starts out in 1995, and it goes on not quite to modern day, but close to it. Um, a little bit of a, a background on this. So my mother lives in Hawaii, so I've spent some time there. So this book meant a lot to me when I was reading it um, because it brought together a lot of the myths and things that she talked about with me, you know, little examples of watch out for the night walkers, which if you don't know what they are, you'll have to read the book or some Hawaiian mythology. <laughs> or if you see an old woman on the side of the road, make sure to pick her up because it's probably Palo. And um, so... I really enjoyed this book also because it brought home to me, um, outside of the beautiful writing and mythology and um, the landscape of the big island in Oahu where a lot of this takes place, it brought home to me the plight of people who are actually trying to make it on Hawaii, who are living there. And, you know, this isn't from the honeymooners' point of view. This isn't from the vacationers' point of view. This is from the point of view of people who are trying to make a living there, which is really hard to do because there's just not a lot of industry. There's, you know, sugar cane is no longer a thing. They're not really growing pineapples anymore. Um, their land is is fertile, but in, in different ways. There are a lot of mountains, so it's, it's not super easy to farm there. Um, and so this made me really look at everybody who was driving a bus or pulling um, driving the luggage in the airport or, you know, working in a restaurant on, our be on a beach. And it, it made me think more about the economy of the people who were trying to make it there. It's also a very expensive place to live, which this drives home. And it talks about how a lot of the kids have to go off-island to get an education and how hard it is having grown up on Hawaii and having your whole family there and being on the mainland because it's really very far away. Um, so I highly recommend this book. It's a beautiful debut novel. Um, it talks about love. There's tragedy. It's for fans of Marlon James, Taylor Brown, Tommy R. Orange, um, and Paul Yoon. And I, I just can't recommend it enough. Also, we were lucky enough to meet him when we were at Winter Institute, the author. And he's just an incredibly nice and humble guy. Yeah, he's actually very, very lovely, incredibly intelligent, very well-spoken. I mean, he's just 
just really a nice human. Yes, he is. I second that. So I would highly recommend Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn. And bonus, we have signed copies. So if you order from us, you will get a signed copy. So well, that's we have a exciting. few left. Yeah, and, a few and, left. And he's got he's got a cute little stamp of himself that he puts in the book with a little note in there. So um, it's a bonus. Um, so I'm going to piggyback off of that um, because the one of the books that I wanted to talk about um, also has a little magical realism in it. So if you're into that, you might also be into this. Um, so this one is called Sourdough, or Lois and Her Adventures in the Underground Market, and it's by Robin Sloan. Um, you may recognize Robin Sloan as the author of Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. Um, so if you like that, you will probably really like this book as well. This book is just a weird little nugget of a book. Um, so it is about Lois, and she is a programmer for a computer company, um, and she and her co-workers work so much that they don't even really take the time to eat. Um, they don't eat real food. They have this, like, pace that they subsist on and don't take any joy in eating. And so it's one... Fun. No, it's not fun. <laughs> and for someone who loves eating, it was really weird to read about. Um, but one night she decides to order takeout food from this restaurant and she becomes obsessed with this takeout food from this one particular restaurant and just the flavors and she has this relationship with the people who make this food and they end up going back to their home country and leave her a gift of a sourdough starter and so it's like a puppy almost uh, yeah it's uh, <laughs> having tried to start a sourdough starter i can tell you it's like having a another mouth to feed and it it takes a lot of work but lois jumps into it and goes just like full bore and be just really gets into baking and the magical realism comes in with the sourdough starter itself it's a bit mystical um it's it's interesting. She speaks about it like it is an actual person. Um, I'm not going to give too much away because the, the, there's a lot going on in this in this little book, but it's a lot of fun. So if you like things that are unexpected and foodie and, like, like I said, a little magical realism, this one would be right up your alley. I highly recommend it. Um, so question for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have you ever known anyone who's had an ongoing, long-time sourdough um, the only person I can think of is Matthew. Well, it, which maybe didn't get fed as much as it should have at one point, and it, his whole life was it was completely upset by this. He said that bread would never taste the same, and um, it's like a death know, in the family. It really was. <laughs> we felt terrible for him, but you know there was nothing we could do. So um, yes, I, I think it is like another person. Well, and I will say, um, I saw a news story. Um, a complete with a photo of um, it came out of San Francisco and it was during uh, all of the, of the craziness that's happening now. Somebody had taken um, pieces of their sourdough starter and tacked them up to a light pole with like a note saying um, free sourdough starters. His name is Gideon. Um, and like it warmed my heart so much that, that people were, you know, putting that out in the world and like, because there's such, there's a shortage in yeast now, which apparently yeast is the new toilet paper. Um, so. try, try buying a bread machine oh. to make bread. It's, it's impossible. Wow. 
that, that God gave you two bread machines. They're called hens. <laughs> I know. Some of us want to cheat. Well, sure. having been the stay-at-home dad for said sourdough starter, I know the uh, incredible stress that comes when you've, you know, messed that up and she's coming home soon. <laughs> There's no quick fix for that. Yeah. I, I don't blame it on you. I totally screwed up that sourdough starter. But anyway, I, I digress. Um, Tim, so what do you, what do you want to talk about? Okay, so I'm going to talk about the book Providence by Max Berry, which is like the last two books in no way. <laughs> um, it, it's, I guess it's similar in that, you know, it's a group of people isolated, like on Hawaii, but they're on a spaceship, and it's a weird <laughs> nugget of a book. Um, it's uh, the latest from Max Berry, and everything he does seems to start from a nugget of realism that he just takes as far as you possibly can. Uh, one of his early books, Jennifer Government, took the idea of uh, loyalty rewards programs as far as you could possibly take that to basically becoming Civil War. Mm -hmm. uh, another takes the idea of uh, prosthetics, again, as far as that can probably go. Uh, actually, probably further than probably that needs further, to go. Yes. Uh, <laughs> But I, he's always been one of my favorite authors ever since I discovered him. And not I discovered him, but since <laughs> he was brought into my life. Um, and so this book, Providence, is different from everything he's done in that there's only four characters alone on a spaceship. Um, and it's difficult to talk about because for most of the book you don't know what's going on and <laughs> it's not until the very end that you start to find oh that's where this is going um i don't know i feel like that's true of a lot of his books though like definitely lexicon because with lexicon it started and you think you know what's happening and then you have had no idea the whole time what's been going on and when it's revealed it's it's twisty and and wonderful <laughs> So the nugget of truth with this one is very kind of prescient for the world, not today, but, you know, a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, it starts with basically the military-industrial complex and the idea of building better weapons and how those weapons would continue to grow and, you know, become intelligent and... Things just kind of spiral from there. I'm thinking Skynet. <laughs> but it's not Skynet in that it's not a single intelligence, you know, that becomes self-aware and is out to, you know, destroy the father figure humanity. Mm. It, it's an intelligence that takes what it's supposed to do very literally. Okay. And the humans are along for the ride, maybe. All right. Well, that's 2,000... Does it Space say? High? It doesn't really Odyssey. say. Kind of, it. It's in the future. We have met aliens, and it did not go well. All right. Mm. Okay. Well. Oh. Well, I have something completely and utterly different <laughs> that I've been reading recently. So I was recently disappointed. Um, well, disappointed in an odd way by a BBC miniseries that I was watching, based on Jane Austen's unfinished 
novel Sanditune. See, we have a we have a disagreement on this because I think it's completely appropriate. <laughs> well, let me just tell my tale of woe, and then you can chime in. But um, so I watched this, and I had I had read the novel um, that was completed by another lady years ago, like probably thirty years ago, that I picked off uh, up off of um, my husband's mother's um, bookshelf of tawdry Regency romances. <laughs> and um, Baltus Rivers, if you will. Maybe, maybe a little bit. And, um, and this one was not a Baltus River, but it was still, um, it was Jane Austen, but a little more romancy than she normally would have gone had she finished the book herself. Um, so they made it into a miniseries, and I started watching it, and I became intrigued, and then I was consumed by it, and really enjoyed it and was invested in what was going to happen and they got all the way through season one and they canceled it and there is no season two and they didn't end it which yes is poetic <laughs> justice but it's deeply unsatisfying for those of us who had invested that time and um, emotion into it and so so I picked up Sanditon um, by Jane Austen and completed by another lady to go ahead and read the ending in this book and um, I will say that this is a this is kind of completely different from what happens on um, the BBC specials there's uh, the characters have um, different motivations they're extra characters in here um, it's uh, it's it's very interesting and I'm glad I picked it up to read again I think it will give me some closure um, and if they ever finish the other one, I'll be interested to see. I feel like, you know, it will end in a marriage. Um, it just is who's, who's marriage. Fair enough. So um, I, I, I recommend, if you're looking for something kind of, oh, comforting and diverting to read, I would recommend Jane Austen's last novel, Sanditon, completed by another lady. It's just a lot of fun. All right. Well, um... On a completely different note, um, so Tim and I both are um, huge graphic novel fans. Um, Tim actually runs the graphic novel book club that we have at the store. Um, and so the the next thing that I have for you is called Scooby Apocalypse. So a few years ago, it's been three years maybe that DC did this, maybe a little bit longer than that at this point. Um, so anyway, DC took all these old Hanna-Barbera cartoon properties and revamped them in graphic novel form. And honestly, they've all been really good. Like they did um, Snagglepuss, they did the Flintstones, and these are not your uh, your Flintstones of your childhood. This is not what you remember. Um, but so this one is done off of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> It's a lot of t fun and um, appropriate for, for what's going on in the world right now. Um, so in this, Velma is a scientist, and she's working on this project um, and has inadvertently released into the world a nanovirus that um, kills off a lot of humanity and turns people into zombies. Um, and so this is... The Scooby-Doo gang, um, again, as you've not seen them before, trying to fight the uh, zombie apocalypse, essentially. 
Um, I would say more monster apocalypse <laughs> than zombie, but well, it's, a, it's a distinction. Yeah, I feel like they're zombie monsters. Like, the, the nanovirus has has mutated humanity. Um, but Scooby uh, was a lab animal who was part of a smart dog program and was not overly successful in the program. Um, and so he can he can talk because of that. And I, I like that they give an explanation for why Scooby can talk as opposed to the cartoon where, you know, you're just supposed to suspend that disbelief. It's fine. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Um, there are six volumes of it out right now, and it's still going on, if I remember correctly. I haven't read the last volume yet. The fifth volume ended on a bit of a cliffhanger, and I needed to take a step back because I was a little emotionally invested. Um, but As far as I can tell, I think it's the only one of the Hanna-Barbera series that has continued. Yeah, like the but, Flintstones, there was two volumes, but everything else has just kind of been a one-shot one thing. Yeah, so if you want something that is a little on the nose, but in a fun way, this this is a really, really good time. And the art in it is fantastic, too. Like, everything is just firing on all cylinders with this. I agree. All right. All right, so I will switch gears <laughs> once again. Um, I'm going to keep it in the sci-fi realm because that's what I read a lot of because the real world is a letdown to me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's 2020. I was supposed to have robots and jetpacks and all kinds Flying of things. Flying cars. <laughs> well, you got to play. Yeah, in fact, this year... This is not, uh, not what I asked for. <laughs> the iRobot company is supposed to be founded this year. Yeah. Uh, so mm. a lot of things to see if they actually happen. Um, but the book I'm going to talk about is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. So good. It, it's an incredibly <laughs> good book. It's actually a trilogy, sort of. There are three books, but they don't necessarily go hand in hand. They each exist in the same universe, but follow different characters. Um, and... What I love about this book is that there's almost no action. It's a very strange book. Uh, I only recently found out that it came out in Britain first, which makes a little bit more sense that it wasn't... If I remember correctly, she actually did it as a Kickstarter. Oh, interestingly. Yeah. What yeah. year was it published? Uh, 2015. Okay. So this was five years ago. Um but it's a different take on sci-fi. It's more Star Trek than Star Wars in that there is conflict, there is resolution, but it comes about through dialogue and talking and learning to understand one another rather than killing one another. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's maybe the first book I've ever read like that. And halfway through, I was waiting for something to happen. And by the end, I was just it was just delightful. Yeah, it's very much character-driven. It very much is the relationship between all of these characters and how they learn how to coexist as... Because like, you're following the uh, crew of a ship, yes, basically. Yes. Yeah. And, and you're, the main-ish character is a girl who has gotten onto the ship, and so everyone else kind of knows each other, and she is finding where she fits in this new world finding out about other people's religious beliefs and personalities and ideologies and how she can kind of interact and learn to be a part of this family. Well, because everyone in the crew is a different species, yes. um, which is 
interesting and just how they all get along and interact yeah. is, is really cool. And it reminds me of a, a family friend who, uh, you know, growing up in this Christian home, you know, their family is Scotch-Irish and their son married a girl from India and half her family is Buddhist, half the family is Muslim and they all just get together and hang out and enjoy one another and that's what this book reminded me of and it's just so much fun. A yeah. modern day Brady Bunch in space. <laughs> but kind of. But, but without, without the, without, without, without the <laughs> middle child issues. <laughs> Poor Jan. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Well, as the middle child, it's nice to... <laughs> Our own little jam. Oh. oh, goodness. Okay, well, I'm going for something utterly and completely different. I Shocking. know that'll be a big surprise <laughs> to everyone. So, um, I know, I don't know if you all are like me during this time, but I find myself unable to focus as much as I'd like to be able to. Oh, 100%. I, I, I have time to read books, but instead I find myself doing ridiculous tasks or making myself go for a walk just because I just can't focus as I'd like to or watching the same movie over and over again. <laughs> Maybe not over and over again, but different movies that I've already seen. Over and, and over again. <laughs> yes. So this is a book that kind of speaks to that, but will give you a little bit of, um, I think, refreshment, um, especially if you're a book lover. And it's called Shakespeare and Company, A History of the Rag and Bone Shop of the Heart. And it really is just a history of the bookshop in Paris, Shakespeare and Company, and it's beautifully done, um, and it's the kind of book you can kind of, it's the kind of book you can flip through and enjoy little snippets of it. You don't have to read it in one sitting. You, you can jump to, in and out of yeah, it. Yeah, you can yeah. jump in and out, and there's lots of pictures and, um, I don't know, would you call it iconography in there? And Yeah, and like, um, notes and like things. It's like archival, like it's got. Multi-genre. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. yeah. Multi-genre, there yeah. you go. Perfect, and it's it's just lovely, and at the end of it, there's a letter that she wrote, and I'm just going to read this little bit so you can kind of understand what the sentiment of the book is, um, and it's from the daughter who is running the bookshop now. It says, one of the things my father often said to me was, I hope you'll be happy here. It always seems such a light and sweet sentence, but now those simple words have taken on a much more profound meaning for me. Meaning for me. George believed that book, the books we read from an form an essential part of our identities, that books signify freedom, and that books connect us. In building his shop, he expressed these convictions in every corner. A bookstore, or in this case, a socialist utopia masquerading as a bookstore, <laughs> is a place of possibility, where ideas and curiosities permeate the millions of pages lining the walls. As I watch visitors wind through the shop, something that we really miss doing here. Oh, God, uh, yes, so much. Yeah, reaching out with wonder, gathering small towers of books in their arms. I'm reminded of my favorite lines in George's Vagabond Journals, written when he was 24. As the circle of knowledge widens, life grows more beautiful and heroic. We are a part of everything, men, women, books, cities, railroads, all made from the same atoms and the same molecules, all living together and dying together, Joined in one imperishable, <laughs> say that three times fast, one imperishable unity that can never be divided. So when I look through it, it makes me think about the best things that a bookstore can be. And 
it is one of the things I'm really missing now is the interaction with our customers and talking to people about books and watching them discover books um, and providing this space for them. So Well, and also discovering books because of talking to them. Like, I mean, one of the favorite things of mine in interacting with customers, like I love recommending books to them, but I love getting book recommendations back from them. Because, you know, there are so many books in the world and, you know, I have, I have come across so many different books that I've loved on recommendations of customers, which has been just, I love it. Oh, absolutely. And also when I'm recommending books to customers, it often reminds me of books that I've kind of forgotten about, but I really love. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yes, I mean, I don't know, walking among the bookshelves is kind of like being with all my friends and we like to share our share our friends with other friends <laughs> anyway not in a not in a dirty not in a way weird, okay. okay had to take it here didn't you that's what okay. i do okay um okay so because tim is an artist um he's constantly drawing and and working on art at home and so I don't want to say it limits what we watch or what we do when we're together because it doesn't like we, we have great interaction and everything, but um, because he's often focused on something else, we don't watch a lot of like new TV shows or new movies or all. We, we tend to watch things that we've watched all the time, you know, know um, things that you can just put on in the background as background news. But one of the things that we do, all my fault. (laughs) So many things are, (laughs) one of the things that we do do is, um, I read out loud to him a lot and, um, we have gone through all of the Harry Potter books that way. We've gone through all of Jane Austen that way. Um, we're working our way through the Dresden Files that way right now. Nice. Um, yeah, well, because the new book is finally coming out in the <laughs> summer. Um, she so, just wants someone to talk to. Yeah, I really want to talk about them, and I don't want to ruin them for him. So he's. We think the new book. It has not been pushed back thus far. Okay. So you know, if it does get pushed back, I'm done. <laughs> like, <laughs> what else has he got to do right now? Right, exactly. Uh, he's already turned in the manuscript. Like, I mean, it's in I'm, the catalog. It's supposed to come out in June. So. Ideally, it's printed and ready to go. <laughs> I know they are pushing things back, but yeah, hopefully it they is. Won't yeah, hopefully not that. I mean, we need we need the diversion. Anyway, so um, one of the one of the things I did this week was uh, I read out loud to Tim the best of Iggy, which is by Annie Barrows. Um, she is the author of the Ivy and Bean series for kids. Um, they're middle grade. Um, and this is the start of a new series that is also a middle grade series. She also was one of the co-authors of the Guernsey Literary and P- Potato Peel Society mm-hmm. um, books, um, which Jessica and I were just actually having this conversation about authors switching back and forth between children's books and adult books. And it's not always the most successful thing. Um, sometimes oh, when was a good book. no, no, this this is not that case. Annie Barrows <laughs> writes well for adults and writes really well for children um and really well for adults who act like children it's true this this one we would never discuss anyone who doesn't we'd just leave that off (laughs) so this one um really hit home for for tim and i um the best of iggy is um about a, a little boy named iggy who has a lot of ideas that seem like 
like good ideas at the time, but in retrospect are not good ideas. <laughs> and um, being a boy who has often had <laughs> very good ideas that in retrospect other people did not agree were such good ideas, I empathize with them very much. Yeah, so this is a lot of fun. It's illustrated. It's a very uh, quick read. I actually read it out loud to Tim in probably about 20 to 25 minutes. Um, it's fantastic in, it, in that it teaches children the phrase extenuating circumstances. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just a whole lot of fun. If you, if you have a, a little boy in your life who maybe is a little rambunctious and maybe make some uh, questionable choices impulsive. a little impulsive yeah this is a this is a great read i'm gonna go out on a limb and say girls too oh no yeah girls yeah. too but i feel like i feel like there's there's a little boy out there that this yeah. this is just gonna speak to oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a little boy in this, this room yeah, that it spoke it, to <laughs> it spoke to my past my present and probably my future as well yeah all right. Well, the last book I'm going to talk about, uh, continuing my sci-fi uh, extravaganza, is The Last Human, a novel by Zach Jordan. And full disclosure, I'm not quite done with it yet. I have about a quarter left to go, but I got to say, so far I am thoroughly enjoying it. It, too, is in this kind of realm of not a lot of action, more um, these characters kind of interacting. Um, there is... You know, more action than probably The Long Way to an Angry Planet. Mm -hmm. um, but it's utterly just fascinating, I think, to read this and look at kind of society from the outside and the idea of a networked society and how people get along. What's the difference between organization and chaos and all of that? And so there is a single human who is trying to find where she belongs in this universe. Um, she's been raised by a adoptive mother, um, and that's pretty much as much as I can tell you without giving too much away. Um, I will say that it has probably the best... Uh, explanation of why we haven't met aliens yet mm. and i don't want to give away the reason you're gonna to have to read the book to find out why we haven't met aliens yet but it talks about the solar system as an egg and species that either hatch from that egg or escape from that egg one being a good thing and the other not so good a thing and it's a really interesting look at kind of human society and where we are and where we might be going. That, this is actually one that I'm really excited to read. It's one that one of um, – th this actually just came out um, like two weeks ago maybe. Um, and when we got it in at the store, um, one of the other booksellers unboxed it, and she brought it up to my desk, and she was like, oh, this is for you. I so it's like she just read the blurb on the inside of the cover, and she's like, "You need this," and 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 she was right. So um, thank you, Miriam. Um, so yeah, okay, Jessica, what else do you have? Oh well, I'm gonna go with an old children's favorite uh, that I read a long time ago, and I also read aloud to my children, "The Princess and the Goblin" by George MacDonald. 
I had kind of forgotten about this book. I hadn't thought about it for a long time. And then this morning, I was filling a special order. And this was the book next to it on the shelf. And it jumped out at me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I love this book. Um, so if we are in um, lockdown for an extended period of time, when I finish Jenny and the Cat Club, this may be the next one I do. Um, it's a story about a princess and Curdy, who is uh, not a prince, but is just kind of a regular minor son, and goblins and their interactions. I have to admit, I've never read that. <gasps> oh, no. It's, it's, um, so I will admit that this was not read to me as a child, which is the perfect time to read it. In fact, I read this my sophomore year of college in what we called Kitty Lit. Um, in the children's literature class, and I was hooked on George MacDonald and went through and read a lot of his works. He was friends with um, Tolkien and Lewis, and he's a very interesting guy. He's written a lot. He has um, a lot of the fairy stories, mm -hmm. and he also has one story which is absolutely beautiful, which is um, At the Back of the North Wind, I think is the name of it. Um, but it has an extremely sad ending. No. And someone had <laughs> recommended it to us, and I read it aloud to my children, and it took us a couple of nights to read it. And you broke their little hearts. <laughs> At the end, we were all sitting on the floor crying, and my youngest son looked at me and said, Mom, why did you read that to us? It was so sad. So, wow. <laughs> but um, George MacDonald is a very smart and interesting writer, and there are more in the Princess and the Goblin series, and... If you have an yes, if you have an imaginative young child, I would say probably maybe eight to ten. It's a great book to read aloud when your child isn't quite able to read it themselves, but they can certainly comprehend what's being read aloud to them. So I always like to read to my children like one or two levels above what they're reading at the time. Mm -hmm. And and this is a, a book that there's something in it for adults as well as children. Oh, yeah. My yeah. mom read that to us, I remember. Yeah. And when I'm reading it to him, I always like to read about one or two levels above <laughs> what, what he's reading wow. himself. So. Okay. Oh, it's true. <laughs> All right. So my last book that I'm going to talk about is actually what I'm reading right now. And I have about... 50 pages left in it, but it's a very, very short book. It's only a, like 175 pages. Um, it's called Riot Baby, and I am going to totally butcher the author's name, and I apologize. It's Tochi Onyabuchi, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, he's the author of the young adult book Beast Made of Night, and I was reading his author bio in the back of this book, and oh my god. God, this man is accomplished. Um, he has a bachelor's from Yale, an MFA in screenwriting from the Tisch School of the Arts, a master's degree um, from Sciences PO, and a JD from Columbia Law School. Like, this is a very, very smart individual who's writing this book, and that completely comes through in this book. Um, it's interesting. It's put out by Tor.com, um, which is putting out a lot of really interesting science fiction books right now. Um, so it is um, speculative fiction, um, and it is set in South Central L.A. and 
Harlem and Riker's prison. Um, it's a juxtaposition of science fiction against like gang violence, which I have never seen before. Um, it is fascinating. The way that it's written is um, almost sort of stream of consciousness, but not. Um, that's not that no, thing. it's not yeah. normally my thing. But I'm finding this incredibly compelling. Um, it, for the most part, it followed the the one character in it who's the her her name is Ella, and she as a child. Um, starts developing these special powers, and um, when they first manifest, she gets these nosebleeds, and then she has visions of the future, and it's of bad things happening to people that she knows, um, and then her powers just begin to grow from there, and she has a um, younger brother who ends up in prison, and it then starts to kind of go to go back and forth between their points of view. Um, and it just switches mid-chapter point of view, and um, it's just—it's unlike. To read that. that sounds like my cup of tea. It's unlike yeah. anything I've ever read before, so I highly recommend this one. Riot Baby. Um, the next one is one that Melissa and I have both read and loved, called Reincarnation Blues, a novel by Michael Poor. 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 Yeah. By Michael Poor, and if you're a fan of Douglas Adams or. Christopher Moore. Christopher Moore. This might be the book for you. It's um, about a guy. <laughs> so ba- basically you have 10,000 tries to get your life perfect. Um, and the the main character is the oldest soul on the planet at this point because he's at 9,995. Yes. Uh, and he hasn't gotten it quite right yet. <laughs> but there, there's more re- – it's, it's not that he – just as bad at it because he comes pretty close mm-hmm. a fair amount of times there's an extenuating circumstance <laughs> he is in a relationship with death he's dating death death well, is his girlfriend he calls her Susie and yeah. she has a candle shop in the afterlife <laughs> yeah and really she wants to give up her day job as death and just focus on the candles <laughs> but there's a little bit of a problem with that um, and we don't want to give too much away, but it's it's really a fun and interesting read. You He jumps from life to life, and life to life just isn't in this present time. He goes back. He goes forward. You get to choose your parents, which is an interesting twist on it. Um, before you forget everything, you kind of get to make an idea of where you want to go. Well, yeah, so the way that they describe um, – how lives are in this it's like a river and you stand there and you look at this river and things are rushing past and you jump into you one jump of them into one of them and and there you are so um it, you come out on the other side and you don't have at birth especially <laughs> and you don't have really any fixed memories of the life that you lived before but you kind of have some idea of some of the lessons you've learned along mm-hmm. the way yeah, so he's able to take things from other lives with him into the new thing, uh, to the new life, and it's it's just incredibly inventive. Um, and you get to see him in all these different lives that he's living. You get to see snippets of him in in the in between. It's just 
it, it's not stupid. No, it's but it's it's, it's well written and a lot of fun. Yeah, it's smart. It is. It's very smart. Um, it's just it is funny, but it's just funny in kind of like a thought provoking way. It is. It definitely is, and and especially right now, um, it is also diverting. It is. A, <laughs> it's a good story that will take you out of where you are. As I slyly reach across, across the, the table, table to take that <laughs> home with me, because that sounds delightful. Yeah, it is. Uh, Jessica and I read it when it was an advanced reader. Um, we got so it in the store, and I read the back loud, and we both went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, and that's one that I hand-sold to countless people who have been through the store, including Ben Affleck. So if that ever gets made into a movie, that was me. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's that reincarnation blues by michael Poore. well that's all we have for you guys this time thank you guys so much for for listening and thank you for recommending this podcast to other people which is just mind-blowing to me because really it's just us rambling about books and the fact that you guys enjoy that is just heartwarming on so many different levels um it warms the cockles indeed the cockles are warm yes. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. One, one episode we'll have to do. Melissa and Jessica speak entirely in quotes from Jane Austen's works. But <laughs> Oh, challenge accepted. <laughs> All right. Well, we will uh, talk to you next time. And thank you again so much. Be well. Read books. Thank you. Thanks for being with us.